0: Welcome if it's your first time today. This is not a normal series. I'm normally in a book of the Bible. We have been in Romans for almost a year and we'll return to Romans in two weeks. So you have to at least visit for three weeks in a row so you can get the Romans sermons and see the different types of sermons. But I'm doing a mini series right now on legalism. So we're right in the middle of that today. We'll finish up Lord willing next week and then return to Romans in two weeks. Today's message is entitled, Rules Legalism, Judging Others Based on Our Convictions. This is a serious issue. Legalism in general is a serious issue in the church. Last week I went through the four types of legalism in that sermon. If you weren't here, please go back and listen because it really was all a preview or or warm-up for today's sermon and next week's sermon. Last Lord's Day, we looked at all four of those. First of all was justification, legalism. This is when people add works, faith plus works. They try to earn their way plus a little faith to being saved. That's called justification, legalism. We looked at sanctification, legalism. This is the idea that, okay, all we need is faith to be saved, to be justified. But now we have to work to keep it. We might fall away if we don't obey, obey, obey. Thirdly was letter of the law, legalism. This is when it's all about law, that's all that's preached, that's all that's taught. The feeling just feels heavy, it's burdensome. You've been in churches like that and you often feel it before you know what it is that's actually happening. It's very hard, it's very white knuckle, it's very just do it type of Christianity. And then fourthly, which is what we're going to look at today, we briefly looked at rules legalism. Rules legalism. Adding rules to the Bible. Or maybe taking a verse and twisting it to make your own interpretation, which is essentially adding a rule or a command to the Bible. It's this fourth kind that we're going back into today into more depth. We're really looking at the personal level. How does this happen between Christians, between uh, members of a church or other Christian friends or family members that you might have? Whether that's your spouse or a child, or even next week we'll look at the church and church leaders. Rules legalism. Adding rules to God's word. Rules that he never commanded. Or it might just be someone saying you're sinning when that sin is not listed at all in Scripture. It's erecting specific requirements of conduct beyond the teaching of Scripture. Also, it's just called judgmentalism because what happens is when we're living by rules that aren't in Scripture, but they're our own self-imposed rules and we expect others to live by those, we look down at them. We judge them. We expect everyone to live according to the way we live. Of course, we're wise, we're very smart, we're very godly, and we want other people to live the way we would want them to live. When Frank was in seminary, I'd go see him at Shepherds Conference, and and I heard this from a professor there, so I started telling him over and over. I would say, Frank, God loves you, but I have a plan for your life. (laughs) Now, I was joking to, to make sure he came back here to our church and served, and I said, I have a plan for your life. But of course, if I had insisted that, if I had made sure that Frank understood that was the law and it was in scripture, (laughs) that would have been legalism and I shouldn't do that. But he knew it was a joke all along. Legalism is very dangerous. R. Kent Hughes writes, we assume everyone should be committed to the same Christian cause as we are committed to. If others were good Christians, they would certainly live like us. If they were together spiritually, they would be doing what we are doing. Now, I mentioned last week a passage, and I just want to turn there. I'm not going to exposit it fully here. If you go to the book of Galatians chapter 5. It does sum up this idea of rules, legalism. Paul doesn't mince words. He just tells you what it is. He says it like it is here. Galatians 5.13 and verse 14. For you were called to freedom. When you were saved, you're now free in Christ. And he says, you have called to freedom, brothers. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, to an opportunity to get what you want, to look down on others, to judge them. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Rules legalism is an opportunity for the flesh. It's an opportunity to puff up, to be prideful, to be self-righteous, to be pharisaical. And that's the problem in Galatia. They have these Judaizers coming in, trying to make people live by the law. Add the law to your faith. And then you'll be a real Christian. And he says, you're free in Christ. You're free in Christ. Don't go back to the yoke of slavery. Well, this is a problem. Look at verse 15. What happens if if legalism overtakes a church? If you bite and devour one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. If everyone is consumed by biting and devouring, by imposing our own self-rules, our own law on everyone else, that will hurt the church. The church will be devoured, will consume one another, and there won't be a church left. Have you ever wondered why churches die? Well, because they stop preaching the word, yes. They stop preaching the gospel. But sometimes it's because legalism overtakes the church. And everyone who comes there and tries to visit just feels that and feels the legalism and they stop visiting and the church slowly dies away. In other words, Christ puts out the candle of the church and takes his blessing elsewhere. So this is a serious sin issue. We need to look at it. We need to make sure that we're always watching our own hearts and watching the church body and helping and encouraging and exhorting. So today I have three points. We'll go through these, but I want to give them to you up front. First of all, we're going to look at the problem of rules legalism. What is it and how do we really see it in today's Christian circles? Then we're going to look at biblical answers for the rules legalist. What if you are the legalist? How do you know? What should you do? And thirdly, biblical answers for those targeted by rules legalists. Maybe you're not the legalist, but you're the target of rules legalists. You have some friend or family member or a fellow church member that is being legalistic towards you. So first of all, let's look at the problem of rules legalism. It really does abound in churches today. Everyone has something for you to do often in a legalistic church. Jesus said, All who come to me will find rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. But today, so many Christians have this long list of rules. So much so that unbelievers often think that Christianity is all about rules. Now, sometimes they use that wrongly. They hear that we're not to sin, we're not to live a lifestyle of worldliness, and they say, well, you Christians are all about rules. But sometimes Christians are so legalistic, that's all they see and hear, and they think, I don't want to live under that kind of slavery. They wouldn't say it like that, but that is indeed what it is. Well, I believe the biggest threat to the unity of the true church today is rules legalism. Now, that might surprise you, but remember, even R.C. Sproul, last week I quoted him, he said, this type of legalism is the most common and deadly form of legalism. It's dangerous. After purely doctrinal issues, I would say rules legalism is the number two reason that churches split. It's the number two reason that churches split. Yes, churches split over doctrine and some should. You read 1 John, there was a big doctrinal issue about who is Christ and a group of people left. And John writes to the true church that's left, and he says, your doctrine is correct, keep on believing, keep on having faith. But I think after that, and it's been this way in church history, it comes down to rules, legalism. All a legalist has to do is make a few converts to their legalistic beliefs, and division begins. And I think many churches, as I said, die every year because legalism has overtaken the church and kills it. Well, where do we see this in the Bible? We're going to go back to some passages we briefly looked at last week. We're going to look at some other ones as well. I want you to see it in the Bible. Then I'm going to describe it as I see it, and others as well have seen it in the church today. Let's go to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. We see this over and over in the ministry of Jesus. People adding rules to the Bible and expecting the Messiah, the Savior of the world. To obey their rules. And they get really mad when he doesn't. We looked at Mark 7, 1, all the way down through the passage. But let's just pick up in 7 8. 7, 8. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And he says that they're leaving the commandment of God. You're leaving that behind. You say you're concerned about the Bible. But you're leaving the commandments behind. And you hold to the tradition of men. And Mark says he was also saying to them, You are good at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. You're good at just setting the Bible aside, saying, I already know all that stuff. Let me add to it. Let me add some extra boundaries. Let me go further than the Bible to make sure everyone is living a holy life. See, they were expecting Jesus to do the things that they said, like wash your hands before you eat a meal. Not for cleanliness, because of holiness. Even though that's not in Scripture, they said you had to do it because obviously God doesn't want us taking in worldliness. And when you go out to the market and when you touch different things in the world, you're unclean. And so you've got to wash up and wash your pots and wash your plate. And Jesus said, you have added to Scripture. Let's go to Luke 7. We did not look at this one last week. Luke 7 and verse 31. Here's again, Jesus speaking about this idea that the Pharisees and the Jewish people, Jewish leaders, were adding rules to Scripture. And they were judging Jesus and they were judging John the Baptist because of that. Uh, Luke 7.31, To what then shall I compare the men of this generation? And what are they like? He's saying, "What, what shall I say about how people are thinking about God and Scripture and salvation? He says, they're like children. If you think it's bad today to be called childish, it was even worse back then. To be called childish is one of the hardest things that you could say to another man. He says, they're like children sitting in the marketplaces, calling to one another who say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. These were games that the children played along the street. And when you walk down the street as an adult, they would play this little song, or maybe expect their friends to join in. And if they played the funeral song with the flute, then you're to dance the funeral dance. And if they played a dirge, you're to weep. It's a pretend game. And they would expect their friends to do this, and maybe even some of the adults who were walking by. And Jesus says, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's saying, look, you people can't be pleased. You can't be pleased. You criticize John the Baptist because he doesn't do these things. You criticize me because I do these things. You're like children, he's saying. You're childish. You're throwing a fit because people are living by God's commands and you don't like it. When kids don't get their way with their parents, they throw a fit. When kids don't get their way with friends, they say, fine, I'm taking my toys and I'm going home. We all did that as kids probably. And Jesus says, that's like the men of this generation. It doesn't matter what John the Baptist does or what Jesus does. There's no pleasing the Pharisee because the sin in their hearts, the sin in their hearts, they want to control Jesus. They want to tell him what to do. He's supposed to obey their commands, their laws, their will for his life. Judging others based on our own convictions is the major cause of interpersonal conflicts between believers. It's why we need to learn to spot these sins. We've got to spot these in our own heart and we've got to beat them down. We've got to be mortifying the flesh, it says in Romans 8. Killing sin. You've probably heard the old Puritan quote. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's the way it works with sins of the heart. They hang out there. They're not completely gone. There's some indwelling sins still left when you're a believer, and they're waiting for the right opportunity. And Satan loves it. He, He dangles bait out there because he knows. He knows humanity. He knows mankind, and he knows what we're likely to grab at. And when that bubbles up, when that boils out, it comes out of our mouth. It comes out and affects our relationships. Now historically, if we're talking about what does this actually look like today, historically in churches, rules, legalism was found in a type of separatist, fundamentalist movement. If you think back to the 1920s, probably through about the 1970s, there's still churches like this today, fundamental or independent fundamental churches. They mostly were very legalistic about how you dressed, what you watched maybe, what you read. Those are still some issues today. And particularly what translation of the Bible you use. Many of them are King James only. And they're very legalistic about that. And while these types of Christians and churches are still around today, the issues have changed somewhat. And so we find a new brand of rules, legalism. In the Christian life, it often revolves around all kinds of issues. Now we could list 15 or 20 categories. But I'm going to give you what I think is the top eight. The top eight categories of legalism that we see today, not particularly in this church, sometimes in this church, but just in our circles in general, Bible-believing, conservative Christian churches and circles, we see these eight. Now, before I list those eight, there are others. There are others you probably have heard of, like Sabbath observance and actions. What should we do on Sunday? Should we go out to eat on Sunday? Is that right? Should Should we not work at all on Sunday? Should we mow our yards on Sunday? Language, you know, how far is too far with language? Children, how many children? Non-abortive birth control issues. Should we have a home birth or hospital birth? Epidurals, Bible translation, politics. Politics is a big issue in many churches. These are not the major things that I've seen in our circles, in our area of the United States. But here are the ones I have seen, starting from least to worst. Worst. Not least, because they're all all issues. I don't mean least as far as not sinful when people are legalistic. But let's say lesser priority. Smoking and drinking. Number one, smoking and drinking. Not speaking of drunkenness here or drug use. That's clearly a sin. But is it right to ever drink? You had a glass of wine on your anniversary? You had a glass of champagne at your wedding? Are you a glutton and a drunkard? By the way, I'm going to warn you. Some of these should touch on some of our past and maybe present legalistic attitudes. That's the way it's supposed to be. You're always growing and gaining in your godliness. Secondly, entertainment. Video games, novels, movies, music. You know, rock music is the devil's music, right? If you have a beat in the church, that is not good. People will say things like that that are very legalistic. You know, country music is all about sin and drinking, and your dog died, and adultery. (laughs) Now don't get me wrong, we sometimes play old songs we grew up listening to for the kids. And we will hear things in that song and say, I can't believe we listened to that. (laughs) And that's it, the kids don't ever hear that song again. I'm not talking about that, I'm just talking about the general category of rock music or country music and so on. Other issues on entertainment. You watch the Lord of the Rings movies? You read the Harry Potter books? Are you even a Christian? Social media. Well, this is a new one. Social media. Again, this is what legalistic people might often say. And you have to check your own heart, of course. We all do. Social media. You're friends with that person on Facebook? You like that ministry? You're following that person? You're friends? You're not friends? You unfriended somebody? I cannot believe that. That's number two. Entertainment. Number three, holidays. Now, we all have convictions on these. All this list, we have convictions. You should have opinions, preferences, and convictions. The issue is when you judge someone else based on these, based on your convictions. When you say they're not Christian, they're not as godly, or they're not as spiritual, because you hold these convictions and they don't. Holidays, Halloween, Easter, Christmas traditions, Christian satyrs. Some people believe it's sinful to celebrate Christmas. That that was invented by pagans and even the Puritans outlawed Christmas. And they did. Read your church history. They did. They had a reason for that. I won't go into that today. You let your kids go out on Halloween. How dare you? Or the other side, there's judging that says, you don't hand out gospel tracts on Halloween. So there's judging on both sides of these often. Money. Number four, money. So we looked at smoking and drinking, entertainment, holidays, money. How much should you give? We had some members join one time and they said, are you going to call us if our giving drops one month? And we told them, we don't even know as elders, like we don't keep track of who gives individually. We look at the big numbers. Somebody else does that for tax purposes, uh, tracks your individual giving so you can get a statement. But they said they were part of a church where the elders would call them if their giving ever dipped down one month. That is concerning. That is legalistic. You have debt. You have a mortgage? Some people would say, that's worldly. There's no way someone can drive a nice car, an expensive car, they would say, and be a godly man. Fifth, this is a newer one as well, health. Health, mask, vaccines, government health mandates. Some say you must wear a mask if Dr. Fauci tells you to. Don't you love your neighbor? And that is a serious issue that came up as of a couple of years ago. Others would say, if you wear a mask, then you must be a sheeple. That has made government your God. See, there's judging on both sides. There's judging on both sides. Others say you must be vaccinated or you're disobeying the authorities. You're buying into conspiracy theories. Others say you've sold your soul to the devil if you get vaccinated. You see others judging on both sides. Where is that in scripture? Where is any of that in scripture? I have my convictions. You have your convictions. The minute we impose that on one another, we've now moved into legalistic territory. Well, we're getting now closer to the the fire. We're putting our feet closer to the fire here. Number six, education. Kids education. Homeschool, public school, private school, private Christian school. Some would say you have to have a trained Christian degree to even teach children. Others would say that if your kids are in public school, you've sold them to the devil. Others would say, if you don't put your kids in public school, you're not evangelizing the lost. And of course, private school often looks down upon either one. I actually had a man once come to our church. He said, I'll join your church. There's only one problem. You don't preach on homeschooling, that everyone must homeschool. And I said, well, we, we homeschool. That's, that's my conviction. That's my conviction but I can't find that in the Bible to tell other people they must do it. And he couldn't either. And he never joined, and he left. Seven, parenting. Parenting. Should we do attachment parenting? Strict schedule? When do we start discipline? How do we discipline? Should we eat organic food and only give that to our children? Should we eat fast food? Is that okay? Homeopathic medicines, antibiotics. Should you spank your child immediately when they stand, even if there's a whole church present? Some would hold that conviction. If your toddler cries, are you a bad Christian parent? If your boys are wrestling, does that make you a bad parent? If you don't take your child to the ER the moment they start crying that they're hurt, is that child abuse? Some might hold that it is. Your little boy gave my girl a hug. Why don't you train your boys upright? Your kids ran into my kids. I mean, this could go on. Parenting is a huge issue of disagreement between Christians. And you know what? We can disagree. We can, we can go ahead and say, this is why I believe what I believe. And here's my experience. And, and based on all that I've read in Scripture, I think this is a wise decision. But when we start looking down on others, when we start thinking they're less of a Christian just because they have chose something different in their parenting style, that is sinful. That is sinful. And then eighthly, Preferences and convictions about the church. What kind of music should we sing? What about church leaders? What should they be like? Where is the money spent in the church? How and what is being preached? What about the building? My favorite color, my favorite carpet color, wall color. How many ministries do you have? Are they organized the way I would want them? And even coffee flavors. Coffee flavors. That's all next week's sermon, so I won't go into that story. But people can be legalistic about what kind of coffee we have. I don't know what the first century church did without coffee. Seriously, keeps us awake for the sermon. Now, convictions, as I said, are are perfectly fine. I have strong convictions on every one of those topics. If you ask Pastor Frank, he has strong convictions on those topics. Each one of you have personal convictions about certain things in life. we can't cross the line. We can't cross the line and add to God's Word. Now, if we can point it out and it is sinful what they're doing, then it'll be in God's Word. God didn't leave us in the dark on stuff. He will be there. We can point it out. But it's very legalistic to judge others based on your convictions. Here's what R.C. Sproul said. He said, we can't make these matters the external test of authentic Christianity. That would be a deadly violation of the gospel because it would substitute human tradition for the real fruits of the Spirit. We come perilously close to blasphemy. This is R.C. Sproul here. He's saying, we come close to blasphemy by misrepresenting Christ in this way. Where God has given liberty, we should never enslave people with man-made rules. We must be careful to fight this form of legalism. Now, I talked about last week What's not legalism? Again, if you didn't hear, go back and listen to that. It's online. I went through five things legalism is not. It's not obedience to the Bible. It's not wanting to please the Lord. But when it truly is legalism, Sproul says that's close to blasphemy because we're speaking for Christ. To the unbeliever, we might be the only Christian they get to talk to. And we're going to add our own convictions to the Word of God? One clear sign of a legalistic spirit is the tendency to always be looking for what's wrong in other people's lives. What's wrong in other people's lives? A legalist feels better about themselves when they can identify another person's errors. We reinforce a superior feeling to look down on others makes us think ourselves are more spiritual, more godly, more favored, more loved by God. Instead, we should be looking for what's right, And other people's lives. Unless they're in such a sin. That we must correct. Or we must go ahead and start the steps of church discipline. We should be looking to encourage one another. We should be looking to help one another. Learn from scripture. And live godly lives. Showing people where they don't know scripture. Helping them along the way. That's what we should be doing. Being gracious. Just like I read in that psalm today. God's people are gracious to one another. The upright are gracious. They're merciful. They're compassionate. They're not burdening others with extra rules. Secondly now, let's talk about the answer. Biblical answers for the rules legalist. What if I'm the legalist? What do I do? How do I get help? Well, first of all, you've got to identify that you are a legalist. And some simple questions. Do you elevate to the status of moral law something the Bible does not require? Have you added something either from tradition in the past, that's part of churches you've been a part of, or growing up, or just your own conviction that's come about in your Christian life? Have you elevated that to the point of God's law? Have you thought in your mind that is equal to Scripture? Or just basically, do you tend to look down your spiritual nose at those who don't follow God's will for your life? God has called each person to live a separate life. God has convicted you of certain things that maybe he hasn't convicted other people yet. And we have to be very careful not to look down our nose at others. So if you are the legalist, first of all, rest fully in Christ. At the root of it, legalism is all about thinking that Christ isn't enough. Maybe you don't actually think that, or you wouldn't say it out loud, but that is the root of it. It's not enough. The Bible's not enough. His word's not enough. I need to add something else. It's been said that legalism is about following rules, but biblical Christianity is about following the one who rules. I'll say it again. Legalism is about following rules. Biblical Christianity is about following the one who rules. Look over at Luke 10. You probably haven't thought about this passage as being something on legalism. Luke 10 and verse 38. And here's Jesus teaching in a nutshell on this. How do you deal with being a legalist? Rest fully in Christ. Luke 10, 38. The story of Martha and Mary. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who is also seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. So she's seated there. She's willing to put herself at the feet of Jesus. She's close to him. She wants to listen. She wants to learn. You could say she's in worship. And in five months, Jesus will be gone. He'll be gone from the earth. She doesn't know that yet, but that's all the time that they're going to have with him before he will ascend. So Mary's not going to waste any time. She is at the feet of Jesus. She is listening to his word. But verse 40, Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the preparations alone? Then tell her to help me. Do you see what happened there? If she chooses to go prepare things, if she chooses to serve the Lord in that way, that's fine. But look what happened. She got upset because she was the only one doing the work, and she goes to Jesus and says, You tell her to help me. Not tell her to serve you, you tell her to help me. You do it, Jesus. You do it. See, in Martha's mind, service trumped learning, growing, worshiping the Lord. Lord, do you not care? I mean, just listen to that kind of question. Do you not care about me, God? Give me some help here. Make that person do what I want. Tell her to help me. You must do what I think is best, Mary. And look how Jesus answers. Martha, Martha. I think this is a a soft rebuke. I don't think he's harsh like he would with the Pharisees. But Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things. You want everything just to be this way. And you want Mary to be this way. And you want Mary to do these things. Only one thing is necessary. Man, if Jesus says only one thing is necessary, you better know what that is. Only one thing is necessary, required. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Worshiping the Lord, learning from Jesus. That's what's necessary. Even if they did not eat a meal, That's not important. What's important is being with Christ. Resting in Him. You see, the legalist says you need to do what I say. But if you are the legalist, you need to rest in Christ and do what He says. Stop trying to be the lawgiver. Moses was the lawgiver. Christ came in with a new covenant. You're neither Moses nor Christ. You're a Christian. You're a slave of Christ. You do what He says. And live out your convictions. And they will change, by the way. They will change throughout your Christian life. Have you ever told somebody, this is what you should do? And then five years later, you're completely the opposite? We've all probably been there. Teach the Bible to them. Yes. Even show them, look, I've read through the Bible, and here's kind of how I form my convictions. But don't be worried and bothered, like Martha, about so many things. Choose the good part. Rest at the feet of Jesus. Here's what John Piper said. He said, a legalistic attitude. The spirit and the life that flow from a failure to be humbled, he says, and broken and amazed and satisfied by the grace of God in Christ. All kinds of attitudes, he says, pride, demandingness, lack of mercy, lack of compassion, unkindness, impatience. And these have their root in a heart that is not stunned by grace, not broken and humbled and joyfully filled by grace that creates a legalistic spirit. Milton Vincent in his little book, A Gospel Primer, he says, When my mind is fixed on the gospel, I have ample stimulation to show God's love to other people. For I'm always willing to show love to others when I am freshly mindful of the love that God has shown me. How gracious has God been to you? And you actually committed sins that can be found in the Bible, and God is gracious and merciful and compassionate. And we can't be gracious and merciful and compassionate to others who haven't committed a sin but have just disagreed with our convictions. Rest fully in Christ. Secondly, secondly, triage the issue. Triage the issue. If you have to go to the emergency room today, the first thing that's going to happen is a nurse is going to come in and they're going to do a triage. And sometimes it can seem like it's taking Forever. And if it's your wife sitting there who needs to get in because she's bleeding and they won't hurry up, you're like, get this process over with. But they triage. They need to know the priority. There's only so many people there, so many resources. Is this an emergency situation? Is this something that needs to go in immediately and be taken care of? So you might sit for an hour and here comes the ambulance and they're bringing somebody in right away to be seen. It's called triage. It's a French word which means to sort. In theology, a way we can think about this, it's been around some time now is to think about The triage when it comes to beliefs, when it comes to doctrines. First level, the primary ones, the ones that are most important are the essentials. These are the primary doctrines. They're central to the Christian faith. They're necessary to believe. You're not a Christian if you don't believe in these things. This is the deity of Christ. This is faith alone and Christ alone. This is the gospel. If you want to look at those, look at our statement of Member Statement of Faith on our website. Primary doctrines. Secondly, the second level here of theological triage is secondary doctrines. These are issues that a church usually forms around. Belief about baptism. Who's to be baptized? Is it, is it immersion or is it something else? Church government. Charismatic gifts. Denominational versus non-denominational. These are secondary issues. Meaning, a church can be formed around that but we can't go and say somebody's not a Christian because they go to a church that has a different form of church government. Now the third level, that's what we're talking about today. The third level is disputable matters. Now sometimes it's just a disagreement about a specific verse. Are the sons of God in Genesis 6 angels or not? And sometimes believers can get so heated, they're willing to cast somebody into hell just because they don't agree on that specific verse or others. But usually, this third level is about convictions, preferences, and opinions. Because no two people are going to agree on everything. I mean, me and my wife don't agree on every single thing. You and your spouse don't agree on every single thing. God didn't make a clone of you to marry. The problem is when people move a conviction or a preference or an opinion from the level three straight up to level one. They take the fast elevator, move that thing all the way up, And now this is essential. You have to do this to be a Christian or to be a godly Christian or to be a real Christian or to be a genuine Christian. So as a legalist, you need to think about your convictions, your preferences, or something you feel strongly about. Let's say you don't know what it is. You just feel strongly about it. Where is this on these three levels? Because if it's not a primary doctrine, let's be careful how we handle it. If it's not a secondary doctrine, Let's be extremely careful how worked up we're going to get about it. When God gave the law to Israel, he said, You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it that you may keep the commandments of Yahweh your God, which I am commanding you. Deuteronomy 4.2. A few chapters later in Deuteronomy 12.32. Whatever I am commanding you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add nor take away from it. When you take a level three on the triage and you move it all the way up to level one, but it's not a doctrine, it's not primary, you've just added to God's word. God didn't put it in his word. Let's go to the New Testament on this. 1 Corinthians 4. Again, looked at this briefly last week. i gonna make a few more comments here. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. So this is happening in the early church. This is happening in Corinth. It's happening in Rome. It's happening in Galatia. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time. They were judging different preachers, Paul, Apollos, and others. But wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness, and make manifest the motives of hearts. And then each one's praise will come to him from God. Maybe your decision is a wiser decision than the other person's. But let's wait until the Lord comes back. And he will identify that. It's not up to us to be judgmental. Now verse 6. Now these things, brothers, I've applied to myself and Apollos. For your sakes. He goes, I'm applying it to myself. So I'm using myself as an example here. Not you guys. But the purpose is so that in us you may learn not to go beyond what is written. If you mark up your Bibles, you should mark that one. You should underline it. You should star it. Not to go beyond what is written so that none of you will become puffed up on behalf of one against the other. When you go beyond scripture, suddenly you have the secret knowledge. You have all this knowledge about what the real rules of Christianity are and you become puffed up against other people. Verse 7, for who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? God gives wisdom. Even on convictions, God gives wisdom to you to make wise decisions in life. Don't go beyond what is written. Don't make rules to impose on others. Don't devise rituals and forms of worship that are not authorized in Scripture. Don't speak on such matters when God is silent. We talk a lot about the doctrine of sola scriptura. It's the Reformation teaching that we obey Scripture alone. But when it comes to rules, legalism, we're we're setting aside sola scriptura, aren't we? And we're adding to it, thinking that it's not enough. We've probably heard of the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. That the Bible's sufficient to grow in godliness. We don't need to look to psychology. We don't need to look to all these other things to grow as a Christian. The Bible is sufficient. But if we start adding rules... If we start adding rules to Scripture, we've also set aside the sufficiency of Scripture. Phil Johnson says, On the subject of spiritual duties, where Scripture stops speaking, we should too. You cannot go beyond Scripture without ultimately setting yourself at odds with Scripture. Number three, if you're the legalist, study Christian liberty. Study Christian liberty. Christ has given us so much liberty. We can live different lives. We can look different a little bit in our lives. Yes, we all have the same Christ. We come to the same church. We, we worship together. But we're not robots that look exactly the same. We're individual created beings by God with different personalities. And so he's given us, when he redeemed us, Christian liberty. Go to Romans 14. And while you're turning there, let me define Christian liberty. It's the freedom to make decisions which are neither commanded, or forbidden by the word of God. You see, the opposite of legalism isn't just go do whatever you want. That's called antinomianism. Just go sin, live like the world, and do whatever you want. That's not the opposite of legalism. The opposite is liberty. Christian liberty. Basically, it basically comes down to this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Christian liberty is love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 14.1. I'll just briefly go through it because we'll come back to it in our exposition of Romans. Now, accept the one who's weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on opinions. See, the problem they're having there is what to eat. Should we eat meat that's come out of the temple? Should we drink alcohol or not? There's all these issues with the pagans who've now been saved. And there's issues with the Jews because they're thinking they shouldn't eat pig. They shouldn't eat bacon. What are they going to do? They can't have smoked pork butt, pulled pork. There's fighting in the church. And Paul's going to address this. And he says, This is not for the purpose of passing judgment. There are some who are weaker, meaning they don't quite yet understand everything. But don't judge them. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats must not view the one who does not eat with contempt. And the one who does not eat must not judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. If God's accepted someone, who are you to impose your standard? Who are you, Paul says in verse 4, to judge the servant of another? This is Christ's slave. You can't judge them. To his own master, he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Even if he's not wise, even if this is a brand new believer and they're really confused, you don't go in, all guns blazing, and tell them how to live their Christian life based on your rules. One person, he says in verse 5, judges one day above another. Now it's talking about holidays. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. You've got to be convinced in your own mind of your convictions. You're never going to be convinced if somebody forces you. Look at verse 10. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you view your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Be careful here. Be careful when you look down on others, legalists, because we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. And he will also remember how judgmental that we were. Verse 13, therefore, let us not judge. Here's the solution. Let's not judge one another anymore, but rather judge this. Not to put a stumbling block or a fence before a brother. Yeah, you may have liberty. You do. You have liberty, according to scripture, to drink alcohol. But if you invite the person who's just stopped drinking from a life of alcoholism and they've just gotten saved and you invite them over to your house and you pull out every alcoholic drink you've ever seen, that's a stumbling block. You're in sin because you're tempting them and you knew they struggled with that. You have the liberty to drink, but you don't have the liberty to lead them into sin. Well, number four, if you're the legalist, look at yourself. Matthew 7. 1 through 4. Look at yourself. There's a speck in your brother's eye and you have a concern about how they're not living according to your convictions. And Jesus says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. This is not the way the world uses it. The world says, who are you to tell me this is sinful? The homosexual lifestyle, who are you to tell me that's sinful? Well, the Bible says it is. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about those who go around judging others wrongly. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. With what measure you measure, it will be measured to you. You're going to cast somebody into hell over something that's not even in God's word? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log, the sequoia tree out of your eye before you go picking that little piece of dust you see in your brother's eye. And this applies to sin too. There's some small sin that's really bothering you about this person. That's fine. Go to them. Teach them the word. But make sure that you are living a godly life as well. Not a perfect life, but generally a godly life. And he says, you hypocrite, take that log out of your own eye before you go and look at your brother's eye. Look at yourself. Are you even living up to the standard of God's word? Let's set aside convictions. How am I living as a Christian? James 2.12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I can think of a good illustration of my own life. When I first went to an expository church, I loved it so much. I think he was in Ephesians first time I've ever heard the Bible taught like that. And it came time for the pastor's vacation. And I said, surely he's not going to go on vacation because pastors never can go on vacation. They're always shepherds. And sure enough, he went on vacation. They had guest preachers come in. I didn't really like the guest preachers. Man, I had the conviction that maybe pastors shouldn't take a vacation. And God made me a pastor. And then I understood Why Spurgeon and Lloyd-Jones and MacArthur take a month off every year as a break from ministry? Look at yourself. Would you want to even live under somebody else's rules that are not found in Scripture? So that's to the legalists. What if you're, number three, what if you're being targeted by rules legalists? Biblical answers for those targeted by rules legalists. Again, triage. I won't go back through that, but someone is telling you you must do something and you're confused, go back to the triage. This is the primary doctrine? This is this a secondary doctrine that my, my church agrees on? Or is this a third-level doctrine? This is this a preference? Is this a preference? I've had to do this. As pastors and biblical counselors, we have to do this. Is this a preference? Well, no, pastor, it's not. Okay, what verse is that again? Well, it's not there. It's a preference. This isn't somebody who doesn't know their Bible well. It's somebody who would know their Bible well often. It is a preference not found in Scripture. So do the triage. Secondly, though, know your Bible well enough. Know your Bible. If it is a preference, ask them kindly what book, what chapter, what verse, what context. We used to have some t-shirts in the bookstore. I don't know if we still do. It said book, chapter, verse, context. I think it's talking more there just about preaching and teaching, but this applies to legalists as well. Where is that found in Scripture? Because if you know the Bible well enough, and someone is telling you how to live, you'll know that's not there. And even if you're a little uncertain, you can study it, or you can ask somebody else who does know the Bible well. Context is important, though, because there are texts that people might point to, like the one on parenting. In Ephesians, Paul says that fathers shouldn't provoke their children to anger, but bring them up in the admonition and discipline, instruction. That's all, that's all it says. Admonition and instruction of the Lord. How do you do that, though? How do you do that? What do you spank with? Should you do it in front of other people at the grocery store? How loud is too loud? What is actually disobedience versus a child just, just growing up and making silly mistakes? There's a lot of freedom in there under instruction and discipline, isn't there? And you as parents have to decide that. But if you know your Bible well, when somebody says this is the way you must do it, and you know that's not in Scripture because you know your Bible well. Thirdly, correct, correct, rebuke, and teach on Christian liberty. You know your Bible well, now teach them what is in the Bible. We all could do better at correcting others who are legalistic. We all could do better at turning them back to the truth. Not just letting it slide, letting it build up, letting the tension just get worse and worse. Correct them. 2 Timothy 3.16 16, all scriptures God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness. If you have an issue with someone else, the scripture will address it in some way. You've just got to know your Bible or get some help in finding the right passage, the right doctrine to address it. There's not enough of this, I think, happening in biblical churches. We go, we listen, we learn. Now let's apply it. And there's a time when we have to say to our brother and sister in Christ, no, that's not found in the Bible. And I respect you for your beliefs, but you can't impose that on others. And maybe it's not you. Maybe they're talking about someone else. You know, that family, they do not parent the right way. And you have to stand up for that family. That's your brother and sister in Christ. And you have to say, no, that's not found in Scripture. What you're saying is not found in the Bible. Fourthly, do not submit to legalism. The Bible is clear on this. We're not talking about the weaker brother here. We're talking about the legalist who says, you must obey their rules. It's amazing to me how many times in the Bible that Jesus and Paul says, do not submit to legalists. Uh, Mark 1, 35-39, this is where Jesus is out praying and he's alone. And the crowds want to find him. And even his disciples get caught up in this. And they come to him and they say in, in Mark 1, 35, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus rose up. He went out of the house. He went away to a desolate place. He's praying. And Simon and his companions searched for him. And they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. The implication here, what are you doing, Jesus? You are out here by yourself and the crowds are right there. Come on, let's go. Look what he does. What does he say? Let us go elsewhere. Let us go elsewhere to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came out for. And he went and preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out the demons. The crowd's right there. Come on, Jesus. Everyone's looking for you. We're looking for you. Where have you been? He says, I'm going over there. Not to punish those people, but God has put a mission on his life that he's going to accomplish. And he is not there to satisfy what the people want and what his own disciples want. I've got to go elsewhere. Also, Colossians 2.20. This is a key verse here. Do not submit. If you want to know where this is found explicitly, look at the book of Colossians here, starting in 2.20. If you have died with Christ, if you're saved, if you're a Christian, you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. All the things that the world says is right to do and to believe. Why? As if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees? You're a Christian Why do you submit yourself to decrees like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Why do you submit yourself to that? Which deal with everything destined to perish with use, which are in accordance with the commands and teachings of men, which are matters having to be sure a word of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are no value against fleshly indulgence. Let's focus on the primary things. Don't submit yourself to that, Paul says. Also in Galatians 5.1, it, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. I always go back to Charles Spurgeon. He was uh, one of my favorite preachers. And he's so quotable too. He used to smoke cigars. And in those days, I didn't even know the kinds of uh, problems with smoking and cigars. But there were people saying that a Christian should never smoke and never drink. And Spurgeon liked to get a cigar. And it became quite the controversy. It was in the newspapers in London. This is in the 1800s. He even said, I'll smoke a cigar to the glory of God. And of course, that just made it even more uh, controversial. And people were criticizing him. So he wrote in a letter kind of defending that and what he really meant by that. And he said, there's growing up in society a pharisaical system which adds to the commands of God, the precepts of men. To that system I will not yield for an hour. The preservation of my liberty may bring upon me the upbraidings of many good men and the sneers of the self-righteous, but I shall endure both with serenity so long as I feel clear in my conscience before God. If you don't believe it's a sin, why would you stop doing it to please a legalist? If you find yourself submitting to legalists, maybe you have a people-pleasing issue. You feel like you have to please others. There's a good book that we have for that. It's called People-Pleasing. We should not be seeking the favor of men. Read Galatians 1.10. We don't have time to go there, but Paul says he's not seeking the favor of men. He knows they're going to be offended by the letter that he's sending them. It doesn't matter. He's not seeking their favor. You cannot win by submitting to a legalist. If you give a mouse a cookie, what happens? He's going to come back and come back and come back. You don't have to have this big, long theological debate. But do not just submit because of their legalistic tendencies. The Bible is clear. Did Jesus submit to legalists? When the Pharisees came, what did he do? He corrected. He taught them the truth. He never once submitted to a legalist. Number five, consider your own and your friend's salvation. Where are you with the Lord? Are you resting firmly with the Lord? Okay, good. Is your friend continuing to be legalistic and unrepentant? Because John 7 4, Jesus says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. You need to be discerning. Maybe you shouldn't be counseling them, biblical counseling. You should be doing evangelism. Now be careful with this. You can't just go around saying because somebody disagrees with you, they're not a believer. But if they're just continuing to lay the yoke of legalism on you, and you've shown them the scriptures, and they are now really affecting people in the church, ask them, is this godly? Is this biblical, the way that you're acting? Use discernment. You might need to evangelize. And then last, disassociate if necessary. There may come a time that you have to separate from a legalist, especially if they're not part of your local church body. That's not your first option. This is your last thing on the list. And you want to be careful again with this one. We're commanded to love and put up with the brethren, especially in our church. But we're also told not to submit to the yoke of slavery. You're not commanded to be best friends with everyone. You're not commanded to spend all your time with everyone else. Jesus even said, don't cast your pearls before swine as he's talking about giving the gospel out. But when it comes to those who are continuing to sin, continuing to try to put a yoke, their yoke on you, it may come time where you have to decide to spend less time with that Christian. Or if they're in your church, you may have to go and approach them and get another witness and go through church discipline if it is a serious, divisive issue. More about that next week. Where is this in the Bible? Luke eleven fifty three. 53. After saying, woe to the Pharisees, scribes, and lawyers. Jesus has said, woe to you Pharisees, woe to you scribes. And they say, you offend us, Jesus. And when Jesus left there, Luke says, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile, to question him closely on many subjects, plotting to catch him in something he might say. Even after he left, they're plotting. But did he stay there? Did he say, let me just sit down and take it? Because that's the Christian thing. Now, he didn't sin, he didn't storm off, he didn't yell at them. He had something else to do, he had a purpose that God had put on his life and his ministry. And we do not have to sit around taking the legalistic yoke of others. That would be the wrong thing to do. So let's rest fully in Christ. Let's not be legalistic. Let's help others who are legalistic. Let's be a gracious church. And we named it Grace Bible Church. We chose that name for a reason because we wanted grace, the doctrines of grace, but also the grace in our own church and lives to be something that people remembered when they came here. I'm not preaching this message because there's some huge legalistic movement in our church. I'm preaching this message because it's a good time before we jump back into Romans. But also, I've seen a lot of these issues in churches and in our church over the years. But I'm thankful that you're a gracious church. You're a loving church. The visitors who come here rave about the members. There's people still here at 1 o'clock talking. 1.30. We've got to push them out the door by then, okay? Because they love each other. They want to be around one another. That's grace. That's love. That's not legalism. So let's pray that the Lord would work in our hearts on this issue. Lord, thank you for the word. It is fully sufficient. It is what we need to grow in godliness. Help us to love you so much that we obey your word and don't seek to add to it. Give us wisdom in our personal convictions and preferences. Help us understand that it's okay to have those, Lord. But we should be very, very careful in how we go about speaking to others and and not ever trying to impose what we believe on them. Let us speak the truth that's in the Bible. Let us speak the gospel. Let us speak your precious word. We love you, Lord. We want to be gracious. We want to be merciful. We want to be compassionate. Help us to do this in the name of Christ. Amen.